0: Did anybody see the cover, Washingtonian magazine? Did, was anybody unaware that we live in a stress-filled city? Was anybody in the dark about the stress level of Washington D.C.? Anybody, you no idea? You had no idea. You thought it was just easy going. Okay, all right. Well, this is new to you. should get the thing and, and read it. Washington, D.C. is an extremely stressed-out city. We used to think that our traffic here in D.C. wasn't as bad. We knew it was bad. We just didn't think it was as bad as it was. And what we found out recently, actually, we're number two in the nation now. We've moved up in the charts. We're all the way to number two in the nation behind New York City. has really, really bad traffic. Washingtonians spend two and a half days every year stuck in traffic somewhere. There's a really big uh, intersection near me, a big traffic light intersection. And you know how you see those signs up, you know, at the intersections? I lost 10 pounds in 10 days, call this number. Somebody actually took the time to go out and make a professional sign, and the sign says, I lost 10 pounds waiting for this light to turn. <laughs> so we, we have, you know, there's a, a lot of stress uh, in this city. They, they interviewed 23, and they put them through a stress test, 23 different kind of well-known Washingtonians. You know who the least stressed person was of those 23 place kicker for the washington redskins graham Gano. how is that possible i mean last week he missed a kick to win in reg i was what was his stress level like when he missed that kick i don't know here but here's there, there's really some some tough physical uh problems that happen let me raise this up just a little bit when we are under stress they gave us 10 of these here they are real quickly frequent colds when we're too stressed we have frequent colds Hyperthyroidism heart disease, stomach pain, weight gain, headaches, asthma, back pain, diabetes, and skin problems. The opening paragraph to this whole piece in Washingtonian, the end of it says this, one thing is clear, we all need to learn to relax. So today we're going to talk about stress. We're not talking about how to physically relax. We're going to talk about how to spiritually relax because we live in a physically stressed out city. We also live in a spiritually stressed out city. And what the scripture talks to us today is this very clearly, is that there is a way that we can spiritually relax in God. We're going to go from Hebrews. We've been working our way through Hebrews. We're going to look at uh, sections of chapter three and chapter four of the book of hebrews now i want to say this before i read this uh, section here real quick uh, this has been some deep heavy stuff these past couple of weeks i mean hebrews is like a really deep it's a grinding book i mean if you've been listening to the last couple of messages particularly last week i mean it's just tough to kind of work your way through and i appreciate you guys tr- you know just tracking along with all that and working to kind of work through the minutiae of some of these things and it's very foundational stuff my wife krista i get so much encouragement my wife krista just really encouraged me last week afterwards it was over she says wow this was i was you know that was a deep message what are you going to talk about next week how to raise the dead so it's, it's it's comments it's comments like that that keep me coming back sunday after sunday and i, I just really appreciate it. let me just read this what it says here it says therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling fix your thoughts on jesus As the Holy Spirit says today, which is an important word in this text today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested me and tried me. Now, notice this. I underlined it for 40 years. They saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And to to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall away by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living, is active, is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today. Help us to have understanding what exactly are you saying here, Lord? What does it mean to enter into spiritual rest? How do we do it? What keeps us from it? Give us clarification on exactly what your word is saying to each one of us, individually, corporately. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, Uh, it's really important with this to, to have a proper context and understanding of exactly what's going on here. You have to put all of this in place. So who's the audience? The audience here is the writers writing to a church, writing to people who are in the biblical know, so to speak. Okay, so get that context. That's really important. The illustration. What's the illustration that the writer gives us here about this? It's about the Israelites when they were slaves, enslaved in bondage in Egypt. And so the illustration is when they got out of Egypt, trekked through the desert, got up to the promised land and then did not go in. What did they see leading up to that point? What was their knowledge leading up to that point? Their knowledge was this, is that Moses comes, he's a Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say, everybody? He says, no way, not, not letting me go. So then what happens? Well, then you got these 10 incredible, mighty, powerful acts of God. Boom. It's like, you're not missing it. You're not missing the flies and the frogs, right? And things turning to blood and all kinds of pandemonium and chaos and moses tells him hey this is going to happen if you don't do it he doesn't do it this so they see that what i'm after here is they see the mighty hand of god at work in a very powerful way then pharaoh says okay i've had it i'm up to here with this you know flies and frogs so boom you guys are gone get out so they go to get out then pharaoh reconsiders and he's upset that he let them go he's upset that he let his slave Labor go, and so he goes back out with his Egyptian army, and he's going to get them back. So here's the Israelites, and they're just cowering, they're shaking at the Red Sea. And Moses prays, and he up before, and boom, the Red Sea parts, and they walk through on dry land. And then here comes the Egyptian army chasing them down, and they're standing on the banks of the other side of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden the water goes back and drowns the entire. this is a really this is a time for jumping up and down, screaming and shouting like you've never shouted at a football game in your life, because when you think you're going to be completely dismembered and ripped apart and thrown back into slavery, you're pretty excited when you see the soldiers who are coming after you completely wiped out when you know that you're not going to experience all that pain. And so they're just Whoa, they have this huge time of Thanksgiving, right? Here's what we're after, here, everybody. They're not operating on something that they do not know. They're operating on something that they do know. This is what's being talked about in this passage. And I'm going to belabor this point for a few moments because it is just so absolutely critical. What is the sinful, unbelieving heart? The sinful, unbelieving heart here is not a person who is a doubter of God. Like somebody saying, you know, I I don't quite have God's will figured out. You know what? I can't quite figure god out or who jesus christ is that's not the sinful unbelieving heart we're talking about people who are rejecting known truth so please write this in this is critical to understanding this entire passage the sinful unbelieving heart is this a sinful unbelieving heart is the rejection of known truth it is the rejection of known truth Again, this is not me trying to figure something out about God. This is me rejecting something I already know. Sometimes in the church, uh, we'll hear that if a person is a doubter, you know, man, doubt, boy, that's of the devil. Sometimes we make people feel guilty. Sometimes we feel guilty ourselves. Sometimes the church makes us feel guilty if we express some kind of doubts. What I am belaboring this point is because it's really important here to see that this is not what we are talking about. Many people are leaving the church today because they're expressing doubt. Somebody recently gave me an article out of Christianity Today. And what it says in this article is that people in their 20s and 30s in record numbers are leaving the church today. Like, they were fully bought in at one point, and they're leaving. And what it says in this article here is that the top reason why they're leaving is that at some point along the way they expressed a concern, a question, or some kind of doubt, and they were shut down. So I want to read you a quote out of this article, okay? Okay. An unsettling pattern emerged during my interviews. Almost to a person, the leavers, these are the people in the 20s and 30s that are just flocking away. The leavers to whom I spoke recalled that before leaving the faith, they were regularly shut down when they expressed doubts. Some were ridiculed in front of peers for asking insolent questions. Others reported receiving trite answers to vexing questions and being scolded for not accepting them. One was slapped across the face, literally. Well, what's wrong with that? You know, we would have a whole lot less doubt, you know, if we could just, you know, slap a couple people, you're doubting today, bam, you know, so people are leaving. Here's the thing, the the, the church should not be the worst place to express doubt, it should be the best place to express doubt, and Hebrews chapter three and four is not about somebody struggling with doubts. Hebrews chapters three and four specifically, please, if you hear anything else, you will never understand what Hebrews three and four is actually talking about unless you get this point. Hebrews three and four is about people rejecting what they already know. They just don't want any part of it. That is what this is all about. Why would they do that? Why would they refuse to go into what we're told in Scripture is the rest of God? And the rest of God represents here the promised land, the place you want to go, the land flowing of milk and honey, a place of spiritual relaxation, a ceasing of work. It's the, it is the place of God's will for all of us to go. That is what rest represents here. Why wouldn't you want God's best? Rest represents the best that God has for you. Why would a person, why would I reject Going into the best that God has. What would keep me, even if I knew it was the best, I knew it was the best. What would keep me from moving forward with what God had the best for me? Well, I want to offer to you a a video clip here uh, in just a moment that 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 talks about that. So what you're going to see here in this clip is is this person. They know because of their history with somebody, they absolutely know that everything ends badly very badly when they do what this person you know tells them to do but like when this person's asking them in this clip to do something and the history long history always fails 100 percent failure rate one hundred. and so they say no they're not going to do it and then the person says to them but you know it's a great honor for you to try to do this thing and they begin to do this they begin to appeal to the person's pride And when pride gets a hold of our heart, it causes us to do stuff that we absolutely know is going to lead to a problem in our lives. It's going to cause stress. It's going to lead us away from God's best. But pride deceives us. And you'll see pride get a hold of this person's heart. And they go and they do it anyway. And then they fall flat on their face. And then you can see the pain. You're going to see the pain all over this person's face. So let's run the video clip and let's see what we can learn from this. Charlie Brown! Now, Charlie Brown! I can't believe it. She must think I'm the most stupid person alive. Come on, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball and you kick it. Hold it? Ha! You'll pull it away and I'll land flat on my back and kill myself. But, Charlie Brown, it's Thanksgiving! What's that got to do with anything? Well, one of the greatest traditions we have is the Thanksgiving Day football game. And the biggest, most important tradition of all is the kicking off of the football. Is that right? Absolutely. Come on, Charlie Brown. It's a big honor for you. Well, if it's that important, a person should never turn down a big honor. Maybe I should do it. Besides, she wouldn't try to trick me on a traditional holiday. It's time I'm gonna kick that football clear to the moon! Odd! Isn't it peculiar, Charlie Brown, how some traditions just slowly fade away? All right, poor Charlie Brown. So what happened to Charlie Brown? He wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to do this thing that was being asked of him. But pride got in his heart, and that's exactly. It. So what we need to talk about today is pride. We need to talk about how that causes us to reject known truth. Here's the thing, everybody. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, the passage I read there. Okay, this is really important to this whole thing. All of a sudden, in the midst of this passage without a sinful unbelieving heart and not being able to enter into god's best that he has for us and wants all of us to experience all of a sudden out of nowhere we have this interjection of these famous verses hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 for the word of god is powerful it divides soul and spirit joints and marrow and it uncovers everything what happens is, is, sometimes we reject known truth and we try, we try to say to ourselves, maybe even try to, you know what, but I'm not really sure about this. I really don't know what the answer is. So and I'm not going to act upon it right now. But in deep down inside of us, we absolutely know what the answer is. We might try to convince others and try to convince ourselves, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm still confused about this. I don't know what to do about it. And deep down inside, we absolutely know what to do. We're just not, act- that's the sinful unbelieving heart that rejects known truth when you know what to do and you reject doing it what happens is is day after day if you do that your heart gets harder and harder and that's why the scripture says today so how does that hit us some of us here in this room absolutely know that jesus christ is our lord and savior we know it and we're not going to act upon it we're not ready for that we don't, want we don't want to embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't want to receive him. We know it. Right? So, you know, we say to ourselves, I'm not really sure who Jesus is. I'm still a little bit confused. We say to other people, you know, I'm not there yet. But deep down inside, we're there. We know what the Bible says about forgiveness. You know, I know I should really extend forgiveness to this person. But you know what? Ain't no way I'm doing that. I know what the Bible says about gossip. I'm just not going to stop gossiping. It makes me feel too good. I know it's not God's best, but see, it's the rejection of what we already know that keeps us from the promised land. How about these things that a lot of times we know about? We know about what what God's word tells us to do about anger. We know what God's word tells us to do about prayer or about Bible study or about money, or sex or pornography, about getting hired, getting drunk, about honesty and character and lust. We absolutely know. We just don't want to do it. We just reject it. And that's what keeps us out of the promised land. Not just doubt where somebody's trying to figure out who is God and what's the deal. What's that? No, 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 no. This is the stuff that we already know. What keeps us from the promised land is when we reject what we already know. And so they could not enter into the promised land. And the top reason that keeps us out is pride, like Charlie Brown. Pride in our own hearts confuses us. Now, here's the thing about pride and humility. It's quite elusive. I'm going to talk about, oh, don't be proud. Oh, yeah, okay, good, don't be proud. Be a humble person. Well, how do you get humble? How does that happen? You know, once I got humility, I'm humble. Now I've lost it, right? I'm humble. I lost it. It's gone. Well, how do you get it? So we're going to drill down here real quick. We're going to drill down biblically, drill right into this thing with some tangible stuff. What is pride? What is humility from biblical examples? What exactly is that? Because if we can work on pride and we can work on humility, we can do those things. Then our heart can be open and we can experience the best that God has for us. So I've got just four quick things I want to share with you. Very tangible examples of pride and humility here we go number one pride lacks gratitude and humility shows appreciation very tangible very tangible stuff a proud person has a difficult time saying thank you a proud person has a difficult time being genuinely grateful and appreciative of stuff they don't overflow the proud person who a lot of pride in their hearts they sit around the thanksgiving table and somebody says hey let's go all around the table and everybody say what they're thankful for and you come to you know and say well can you come back to me you no, know, could you come back? I'm just trying, I'm having a hard time thinking about what the heck I'm thankful for, right? So, th- you know, that's pride. But a person of humility is ready to give thanks. 2 Chronicles 32, King Hezekiah. In those days, King Hezekiah became ill. He was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. What does God do? God heals him. So how does Hezekiah respond? It says, but Hezekiah's heart was proud. So what does that mean? What does it mean his heart was proud? So then it says this, and he did not respond. He did not respond. So pride keeps us from making this gracious response to God. I am so happy. Now, I recall uh, some time ago in my life, I did something special, nice for somebody who was always complaining that nobody ever did anything nice for them. Right. So I said, "Okay, that's it. I'm going to do something nice for this person. So I go do something nice for this person. How do you think that person responded to the nice thing? They never even said thank you. They didn't even acknowledge. They did absolutely nothing. And it wasn't like they forgot. It wasn't like they didn't see me. I was physically there when we did this, you know, right? Nothing. Not even a thank you. Now we understand why nobody does anything nice for this person, right? Pride has a hard time saying thank you, has a hard time acknowledging. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My wife hates our refrigerator. She hates it. Can't stand it. And I'm working on this mess yesterday morning, and I'm looking into the kitchen, and she's standing in front of the refrigerator. And I'm thinking, what is she going to do? What is she going to say? And all of a sudden, I know where she says, God. I am so thankful for this refrigerator. Thank you that I have a refrigerator, something to keep things cold in. Thank you, Lord. That's what God wants. To do. do you have a hard time coming up with a list of things you're thankful for? If you do, that's pride work in your heart. But if your heart just overwhelms with thankfulness, oh, God, thank you for clothes. Thank you for the heat of this building. Thank you that I have a job or a car or water to drink. Thank you. I mean, if you can list the things, that's humility working in your life. That's humility. There you go. That's very tangible. It's not pie in the sky. Let's get all spiritual. This is serious stuff. This is what the Bible says a humble heart does. Jesus heals 10 lepers. Tell me, everybody, how many come back and say thank you? Thank you so much for healing me of lepers. How many? Anybody know? One. One comes back. Um, my mother. My mother likes to get bargains. And when she finds a good bargain, she goes hog wild. 30 years ago there was a shoe store in Bailey's crossroads called Quaddies. Very odd name, Quaddies. And they showed all kinds of shoes, but one of the shoes that they sold was a shoe called the Quaddy. And the Quaddy was a little muffin-like slipper, I don't know what you want to call it, you wear around the house. It was like a boot came up to here. It's all fluffy on the inside, felt nice and comfortable. He wore it around the house. She went in one day, the Quaddy, the Quaddy cost 15 bucks. But they were having a big sale, $1 for a Quaddy. She tried it out. This feels great. She said, how long do you have in your sale? She said, until they're all gone. She said, how many do you have? We've got hundreds in the back. I'll take them all. Boom. Our addict looked like a shoe store because they all came in. And so here's what happened. You ready? Ready? Birthdays. Thanksgiving. Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, everybody gets a new pair of quaddies. Now, you get a little tired of the Quaddy after a while, right? I mean that newness, excitement of the quaddy wears off, right? You know what I'm saying? It wears off. So here we are after year after year of Christmases, you know, with my mom's you know side of the family, right, and giving the Quaddy out. now, my uncle Bump and Aunt Janet had four girls kept trying to have a boy, couldn't have a boy, they had four girls every year they're getting the quaddy, right. So don't you think that these girls, these, you know, teenage girls will get a little sick and tired of the quaddie? No. You give them the quaddie, it's like they'd never seen a quaddie in their life. Oh, and Dorothy, thank you for the quaddie. They come over and hug her and they just won the lottery. Thank you for the quaddie. And they're putting the quaddies on and running around. They're excited. Now, that's a humble heart, right? Because people who have pride in their hearts, they can't be happy about anything. They could be sitting on a, you know, beach resort somewhere down in the Caribbean and they're upset about the service. Bringing their cocktails to them on the beach, right? You understand what I'm saying? This is very practical, everybody. So you are a humble person if you are just a thankful person. It's overflowing from your heart. You are a proud person if you have a hard time thinking of what to be thankful for. Period. Okay. Now, here's the next one. Um, Pride is easily angered. It's moody. It's irritable. It's prickly. Does anybody know a prickly person? Don't raise your hand. They might be sitting next to you. Humility is patient. It's congenial. It's flexible. Ecclesiastes, don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. James 119, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to do what? Slow to become angry. Do you know a sensitive, prickly person? The reason people are sensitive, prickly, and we'll try to come up with all kinds of things. Oh, you know, I had a bad day or whatever. Woke up on the wrong side of bed, whatever. No, that's pride. According to the Bible, that's pride working in somebody's heart. Somebody who is like sensitive, prickly, got a problem, a tight irritable, You all know them, right? I, sh- I could have taken a bunch of pictures and thrown them on the PowerPoint screen. to people, You know, right, right. The, the, we, we all know it's never us. It's not me. It's not you. It's the person maybe sitting next to you. But, but you know what I'm saying? There's prickly, sensitive people. That's pride at work in somebody's heart. First Corinthians 13 says first definition. This is great. We get God's definition. In January, we're going to do a whole sermon sermon series about love from the perspective of God. The first thing we're told, and this has always got me. This is God's definition of love. Love is, and always the first definition in a dictionary in Webster's dictionary to me always carries the greatest weight. So what does God say the number one thing love is? Love is patient. What is the Greek definition of the word patient that's given there? long suffering, long. So humility is willing to suffer a long time. How long is pride willing to suffer a very short time, a very short. So if you know somebody, it's not you remember this, but if you know somebody who has a very short fuse, the reason the fuse is short is because of pride at work in their life. Every time my fuse is short and I fly off the handle and I come up with all kinds of excuses. About, oh, here's the reason why I did this is because you did this and you did this and you did this. I'm having a bad day. You know what the Bible says back to me? It says, no, John, that's pride in your life. That's what that is. You're flying off the handle because of pride at work in your life. It's a very, very, very tangible. OK, um, it's getting quiet. So let's move on quickly. Uh, pride. Pride is self-focused. Humility is other Focus. This is very important. We must get clear on this one here. Pride is self-focus. Humility is other focus. In a positive sense, we all understand this. Somebody says, I'm so great. Look at me. And well, that's easy. Oh, man, that's an arrogant, whatever, blankety-blank. Blank, blank, right? We all know that person. Right? I'm so great. Look at me. But here, here's pride. You ready for this? It's in a negative sense. I'm such a loser. Feel sorry for me. Well, is that a person who has pride? Absolutely. Because the definition here is to be self-absorbed. And whether you do that in a positive or negative sense. So we might come along and say, you know, I'm so down on myself, so I really can't have pride, right? Oh, well, yes, you do. Yes, I do. When I mope around and I wallow in self-pity, that's pride at work in my heart and life. Because I'm self of Romans twelve three says, We should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. I did a study of that. What does that mean, highly? It means volume. You should not think about yourself a whole bunch. You should not spend a lot of time thinking about self Is what is being said here. Last one. Pride flips out over criticism and humility learns from it. How do you handle criticism? If you have a really difficult time with constructive criticism and you just flip out or you get obsessed over it, you can't stop thinking about it, you anger, you try try to come up with excuses about why and what and all this kind of stuff like this. That's pride at work. Proverbs chapter 12 says it is stupid. The Bible says something is stupid. You don't get the Bible saying that often. It's stupid. It is stupid to hate correction. Proverbs 29. Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be broken beyond repair. Man. You know, this talking and getting tangible about this pride and humility stuff is quite uh, irritating. (laughs) Because, man, it really just hits home. I'd rather talk about it in some kind of far-out sense. I want to be humble. But man, when you get real practical what the Bible says about it, it's right up in your grill, isn't it? Pride and humility. Criticism. Are you devastated by it? Do you obsess over it? Do you explode about it? Because that is pride at work. Humility loves correction. Would it be okay if I talked about my mother-in-law for a moment? Anybody be, everybody okay with that? Nobody <clears throat> raised their hand, so let me say something. My mother-in-law, she's got uh, three sisters. There was four sisters in the family, and, boy, they just they love each other very much. And one of the sisters who has passed away, her name is Mary, and Mary worked for the 700 Club. Anybody know what the 700 Club is? A couple of you. Pat Robertson, 700 Club down in Virginia Beach. So you, they have a TV show, and you'd watch it. And this is years ago. It's a couple of decades ago. She's working for them. And so it's a spiritual show. It's a Christian show. And so you watch it and then you can call up. I have a question or pray with me or something like this. And so Mary, who works, she's not a volunteer. She works for the 700 Club. One day she's manning the phone. I think she's like a trainer. She's training the other volunteers who are there. Here's how you handle phone calls in the correct manner. And so she gets a phone call from a lady and the lady's talking and, you know, making some comments about this in the program and, hey, pray for me and blah, blah, blah. And then the lady kind of keeps talking. And she's like, you know, she starts kind of maybe doing a little instruction to Mary a little bit about, you know, things, things that she thinks about the program or even about the way she's counseling and stuff like this. And so finally, Mary says to her, she says, "Okay, uh, ma'am, that is fine. Thank you. But I need to go now. And the lady says back to Mary, Mary, don't you have time for God? And Mary says, I have time for God, but I have no time for stupid jerks like you and slams the phone down. I don't know how Pat Robertson felt about that. I don't know if that was part of the training manual. But here's the thing. How do you handle criticism? Do you get immediately angry at constructive criticism and you just want to slam the phone as I have no time for this? Pride and humility. Pride is the thing that is going to keep us. It's going to keep me. The pride in my own heart is going to keep me out of God's promised land. The rest, the best that God has for me. And if I really want to get serious about moving forward and not rejecting that known truth, if I want to get really serious about it, then I've got to get serious about getting tangible about pride and humility and working that pride out in my life in tangible. So we're going to talk more about this in the house church because I'm afraid there's a few more tangible points in the scriptures on what exactly pride is and what humility is. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of these points next week in house church. Uh, i'm going to pray and i want to remind you if anybody would like prayer and these are wonderful things to be prayed for i mean if you're having issues with forgiveness or you're having issues on that long list of stuff i went through there's nothing like having somebody else pray with you about it the prayer team is always right over here afterwards somebody just said to me three days ago they were going through a really tough time a really tough time and they said i went up after service was over and i had the prayer team and they said it helped me so much There is not a person in this room who does not struggle with the issues of pride. Me included, that's for doggone sure. But it will rob us of what is best. Do not allow yourself to be robbed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gentleness of your word. Thank you for the practicality of your word. Father, I know that you want what's best for us. Your word tells us that over and over and over again. Lord, do not allow us to be robbed. Help us to not allow ourselves to be robbed. God, work in our lives. Help us, to God, to have the courage to deal with our own pride. Help us, Lord, to move forward and deal with issues that many of us in this room are dealing with right here this morning. God, work that pride out of our hearts and let us with humility walk into your promised land. In Jesus' name, amen.